Hello, my name's Andre Longley. I'm the editor of The Ham and High. Each week on this podcast, we'll be bringing you an interview with a guest with strong links to North London, where we'll discuss their lives, careers and love of the area. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe, like and leave a glowing review wherever you get your podcasts. This week, our guest is Shazia Mirza, a fantastic comedian who found fame nearly 20 years ago and has since toured the world with shows including The Kardashians Made Me Do It. Shazia is from Birmingham originally and comes from a Pakistani Muslim family, bringing a voice different to most of those on the UK comedy circuit. We spoke to Shazia on June 26th as lockdown was just beginning to wind down. Shazia, so uh, thanks for joining us today. So uh, how have you found the last three months in lockdown or similar? Um, well, I'm still alive. I feel like uh, I've mutated. I feel like there's been a mutation happened and I'm just existing every day. I'm doing stuff. I mean, I do things. I'm not, it's not like I've been in bed or sitting on my backside for three months not doing anything. I've done loads of stuff. I just feel I died a bit. <laughs> well, there'll be lots of people around the country thinking, I've done nothing. I've spent all those three months and I've achieved absolutely nothing. So good for you. Are you, whereabouts have you been? Um, well, um, I have been, I've done loads of, well, I've done loads of gigs online. I've done about two or three gigs online. Um, I've done a few gigs in LA. Obviously, I wasn't in LA. I was in North London. But uh, the gigs were in LA. So I had to stay awake till five o'clock in the morning. Um to do the gigs because they were on LA time. Um, but I have to say, I <laughs> did a gig in my living room at five o'clock in the morning to a screen where I can't hear anyone. And I'm meant to be funny and doing stand-up. It was really weird to start with. But then I really didn't care after a while because I couldn't hear the heckling. I didn't know if I was dying or not. And I just kind of laughed at my own jokes to help me along. So I think it was just an experience. It must be even stranger finishing a gig like that than when you finish a normal gig, you kind of walk out to the street and I assume the adrenaline just kind of is still there, but there's nothing yeah. happening. But it must oh, be even odder to be watching Good Morning Britain or whatever, having just oh done gosh. that. Well, after the gig, obviously, I walked to the kitchen and uh, had some more cake and just ate some more. <laughs> that's all really I've been doing all these three months is getting fat, grey and hairy. And uh, so what I did is I just went to the kitchen and I stuck my head in the fridge and ate some more and went to bed. That's a good approach. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, um, we're, you're, you're on the Haven't High podcast and partly because you're based in, in North London. Is it Muswell Hill you're, you live these days? I was, and now I moved to Hampstead, obviously. Uh, well, because I, I, I'm doing better. Um, um, well, till the pandemic, obviously, and now even Hampstead has shut down. I mean, I was shocked. I was really horrified. I think it really hit me when I went to Marks and Spencer's in Hampstead two days after the lockdown, and there was no food in there. There was, <laughs> there was absolutely no food. Like where the groceries are, where they have the bananas and the pineapples and all of that, it was empty. There was just these gray, uh, green boxes with nothing in them. And obviously I had to take photos of them and put them on social media and go, look, there's no food left in Hampstead. What are these people gonna do? But obviously people have just gone in and bulk bought loads of stuff, but it was so weird to go into a supermarket and see nothing all of a sudden. That's never happened to me in my life where I've gone into a supermarket and it's been completely empty, not even at Christmas. 
it was just it's, really scary. And you know, in Hampstead, you're obviously you're surrounded by how huge houses with pantries and the best wine cellars in the land, which yeah. are probably even more stocked up than normal. Oh, yeah, yeah. So how long have you been in Hampstead? Um, just a year. Um, and then, <clears throat> I mean, it's been lovely. Uh, I was going to the Heath every day. I normally go swimming at Hampstead Ladies Pond. But obviously that had shut in the pandemic as well. And that was the end of the world for a lot of women in Hampstead because that is their life. Like, I see women there. I go there swimming there every day, all year round. And there are women there in their 70s and 80s that go swimming there every day, all year round. All of a sudden it was shut. There was nothing. It was totally closed. And there was just nothing. Nothing to do. I mean, and even like there's a really posh pasta shop on the corner that makes fresh pasta. Even they were shut. I mean, I think for people in Hampstead, it was the end of the world. Yeah, it felt like that to a lot of us for a while. Have you, is there a real community amongst the swimmers? Do you find yourself chatting yeah. to the same uh, ladies yeah. each time? I mean, there are women there. I mean, I've been only swimming there really for about five years. Uh, even when I lived in Muswell Hill, I also used to go swimming in, in Hampstead Ladies Pond. Um, but there's women there that have been swimming there for like 30, 40 years and swim all year round. Um, and it does get really cold in the winter. And they, these women, there are, a lot of them are old women. They are really good. At, like They're all totally acclimatized to it. And they're really good at just swimming there every day, all year round. I can only really compare it to a man's pool where I kind of imagine it being quite, uh, quite macho and everybody's, yeah. no, I'm not shivering, it's fine. I'm colder than this. I um, assume it's a similar thing. And there's, um, and there's a mixed pond as well, which I haven't been to. But I've heard that's quite nice and open. Um, but I've got a lot of gay friends that pick each other up in the men's pond. So I think that's what happens there. <laughs> um, so, so I'll move away from that. I'm not sure there's a follow-up <laughs> question that directly goes to that one. Um, so you, you grew up in Birmingham, is that right? That's right, yeah. And, and, my, and parents, my parents still live here. Okay, and as you said, you, you kind of moved as your career moved on, or as, as you were doing better, in your words. Well, I, moved, I went to university in Manchester, so I went to Manchester University, and then I, um, then I went to Goldsmiths in London, where I did a, a PGCE, and I became a teacher then. Um, so I was living in, uh, when I was at Goldsmiths, I lived in South East London, um, and I taught in a lot of schools there, which were really difficult. Um, and then I moved to North London afterwards when I started teaching in North London. <clears throat> how was that? How was that shift? How, why Muswell Hill? Um, well, I, I knew people that lived there. I had some friends that lived there and I knew the area quite well. And it's quite small. And um, I really liked it. I felt it was safe there. And I felt it was very, you know, I, I had a car I could drive. So it was very accessible for me. I know they don't have a tube there. In Muswell Hill, but I quite like that. I quite liked it that you had to get a bus to go there, and it was quite a secret kind of location, and it was a small villagey feel. It has a small villagey feel to it. I think there's places in in South London that similar in a way that they kind of want a tube stop, but actually the fact that it's off the beaten track gives it a yeah. slight a slight edge, a bit of, yeah, of coolness. I like that because you know Highgate is the nearest tube or Bounds Green, and you have to get a bus to both of those from Muswell Hill. But that's, that's quite nice, I think. You know, you've got Highgate Woods on the way and um, 
it's just very nice. It's not overcrowded. Muswell Hill never gets overcrowded. It's just a small, uh, you know, you can walk around it. There's loads of, also what's good about it is they've got these back streets, a lot of back streets off the high street. And they've got some really lovely shops down those back streets that people don't know about, like vintage shops and secondhand clothing shops and really nice antique shops as well that people don't know about. And you only know that if other people who live in Muswell Hill tell you about them and go, oh, you need to go down this street here and they've got this really great shop there. And then you go down there and you go, wow, you see some amazing things. You're part of the club living there. Is yeah. Hampstead similar, do you find? Hampstead is a bit more, like there's a bit few more chain shops in Hampstead um, that, uh, you know, people go to like Gale's Bakery and Holland and Barrett and, you know, bookshops. There's more of those kind of and ch chains like Tesco's and stuff. There's no Tesco's in Muswell Hill Broadway. Um, there's a Marks and Spencer's. Um, but, and there's a famous piece, but you don't see many of those. Hampstead's a bit bigger, I think, when it comes to shops. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. So anyway, we're, you know, we're, we're kind of coming out of lockdown. The shops are open again, which, you know, for lots of us is good. Um, as a comedian, though, things are still a bit on the back burner, aren't they? How, what, what are your plans at the moment? Well, um, I was on tour. I was meant to be on tour now. For, I was on tour from March to, say, July, and then I was going to Edinburgh for a month. And March to July, I was going to be touring around the country, but obviously that's going to consult. Um, and we don't know when it's going to resume. I mean, my dates have been rebooked for 2021. I was meant to be doing Soho Theatre all last week. That oh. all got cancelled. And I, mean, I really hope Soho Theatre opens again because uh, it, I've performed there so many times over the years and it's been, it's so great at putting on all different kinds of comedy and really encouraging and nurturing the new acts that come up from Edinburgh. And they put on some really exciting stuff that's not mainstream, that you won't see on TV, but it's really creative and inventive and really artistic stuff. I just really hope that it reopens again. Yeah, absolutely. And for so many venues. Are there, are there any in North London? Because you, you, you launched one show at the Tricycle, didn't you? I did, um, I did a show so at the Tricycle. Um, um, there is a, the Arts Depot I do a lot and I was meant to do the Arts Depot on this tour obviously it's been cancelled I've had many great nights at the Arts Depot and I've watched so many great acts like Ricky Gervais and Omid Jalili at the Arts Depot everybody a lot of comedians like that venue it's a really friendly venue the people are very nice that run it and obviously you know that hasn't that hasn't that's not open yet either and I think you know, when you do stand-up, it's something you do, you don't just do it like once a month. It's something you do every night or two or three or four times a week. And when you don't do it, you know, really a part of you dies. You think, am I ever going to be able to do this again? You know, what's it going to be like when I do it? Have I got anything to say, you know? Um, and obviously we had this virus and there should be loads to say and loads to be funny about. But normally, we would be kind of trying the material as we went along. So, you know, if something happened yesterday, I could go on stage tonight and try it. Because we've been in lockdown for three months, I, the only way I've been able to try this is through online gigs, which is not the same as doing it live. So it's all really weird. And I think, I mean, especially for your um, 
your material. I was listening to your podcast earlier that you did towards the end of last year with John Camp. There wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Pale, Pale Man is Stale, yeah. which I really enjoyed, by the way. For any yeah. listeners, you should should check it out. It's still on um, all the, the podcast apps. But because it was talking about uh, the Boris Johnson government and what was ahead and Brexit ahead, it feels like so much has happened that's not only kind of overridden all of that, but it's still entirely relevant to all the things you're talking about the the, uh, the black lives matter movement which has you know changed the world or sprung up with huge impact over the last few weeks how do you feel about doing material about all of that well i my show coconut it was a lot about brexit uh, it was a lot about reality tv and brexit and i how i linked reality tv to brexit and i said that reality tv was partly responsible for brexit because it was people voting mindlessly, just voting for things they liked or didn't like. And how that related to Brexit, people just voting unknowingly for things they liked or didn't like. And I related the two in so many ways. Um, and then all of a sudden the virus happened and, well, people, I never heard anybody mention Brexit. I haven't heard anyone mention Brexit for three months. I thought, Oh my God, this has been forgotten about. And then at the time I wrote about a lot about Sajid Javid, a lot of things I disagreed with that he did. And now he's nowhere to be seen either. I know we've all got other people, Pretty Patel and people like that, that have taken over, but well, it's three months in a way is not a long time. But because we've been locked up, it seems like such a long time. And so much has happened. I mean, there was this worldwide virus, which... I spoke to my friends all over the world, in LA, in New York, in France, and in India, all over the world, and everybody was experiencing the same thing. And that's really weird that in, in the world that everybody is experiencing, and, be, and in, being in exactly the same position, we all knew where everybody was. Everybody was in their house. So if somebody wasn't answering their phone, I'd think, well, I know where you are. You're in the house, like me and everyone else. And so that was really strange. But then to have another black man get killed by the police and that kind of wiped the virus off the earth, like all of a sudden, overnight, the virus was almost forgotten about. And the whole world got up and started marching and protesting and getting really angry. And all of a sudden there was no mention of the virus because these people were out in the streets with no gloves, no masks, and it's so weird how something can be all-consuming and then it can be knocked away. Like Brexit was knocked off, the virus was knocked off, and now Black Lives Matter has made this huge impact as it should. But I, I also think what happened with George Floyd was that we were all locked up in our houses. We were all watching, we're, everybody's been on the internet. At one point I thought, my God, when the internet breaks, we're all fucked because the internet was what was keeping everybody alive in a it way. It was a real fear for a while, wasn't it? It was a real, actually, if that goes, there's nothing like, left. Uh, like that will be the end of the world because the internet was the thing that was keeping a lot of people sane, a lot of people communicating, uh, a lot of people just keeping them alive, really, was the internet. Um, and then when we saw what happened with George Floyd is everybody saw what happened. Everybody was in their house, everybody was on the internet, everybody was watching TV, and we all saw that video. 
and we saw his face and we saw the policeman's face and we saw it all and we saw everything close up and I think that shook people up because we've heard about people you know young black men being murdered by the police we've heard about that before we've read about that you know we know about Stephen Lawrence we've we've watched numerous documentaries about Stephen Lawrence um, but we never saw it happen and I think for everybody to be in this enclosed space and to watch that happen I think it really affected people like it's this has never affected people before. It feels like, um, yeah, that the groundswell's been huge and the question of what the government will do to react to it, it feels like the government is going to try and sit it out and hope it kind of goes away and things will quieten down and normal can return. But it also feels like that's not the case. It also feels like with a lot of the things you were talking about uh, on the podcast last year kind of translate because now we've got a lot of people who you might have been talking about to do with Brexit saying things like, ah, surely all lives matter and uh, all of that kind of thing um, on social media. Is, it, is that how you see it, do you think? Well, I mean, um, everybody is, is on, on the social media every day um, and the thing about you know black lives matter and then people were always protesting that before saying all lives matter or white lives matter um as well we we had that before george floyd um but now it, it's got even bigger and then, and i think also to add to it the protests and and the you know the statues coming down and you know the far right fighting in trafalgar square two weekends ago um and I, th I, I just think that everything is boiling and everything had been boiling, you know, throughout the three months, people just getting angry about so many things um, and not really expressing it. And then, you know, George Floyd's death really was a vessel for everybody's anger. Whatever they were feeling about so many things, I think it just came out in this and has come out and it's still going to come out. Um, and I think, people's anger it, it's I don't think it's going to go away I think this is just open the floodgates just a little bit and and there's a lot of divisions obviously between and there shouldn't be but there's divisions between people saying you know black lives matter all lives matter white lives matter and then people like Sajid Javid and Priti Patel who you know a lot of Asian and black people feeling that you should be on our side but we don't feel that you are on our side you know, why are you, Pretty Patel, calling these people lawless and defending the statues when surely you should be defending the people that have the same colour skin as you? We have, feel disloyal, that, we, that they are disloyal to us. Um, they're not supporting us. Um, and they have the same kind of people in America as well. Do you, think, um, do you think Richie Sunak fits into that as well? Because he seems to be one of the people who has profiled and people's opinion of him has seems to have grown during this. I think everybody I've spoken to has spoken very well of him, actually, um, and said that they think he's done a really good job um, uh, as chancellor. And this kind of 80, you know, 80% uh, of your wages being paid by the government. I mean, he didn't have to do that. I mean, I think people would have been okay with 50% probably. I mean, in America, they're getting $240. I yeah. mean, I think, he didn't have to do that. People really um, 
do appreciate that. Um, I'm slightly worried if we get another spike in next winter, whether the, the percentage will go down. We'll do the same again. <laughs> and he has backtracked a bit and said, you know, after August, you know, employers, you're going to have to help out a bit with this. Um, but I think that helped people's anger or kind of keeping people calm a bit um, and, and maybe less worried financially for it a bit. Gave some security, certainly, to, and it, the, the kind of fear of everything just falling apart. Temporarily, yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, I suppose I've got to ask, actually, how do you think Boris Johnson will react? Being as he's somebody you know, albeit, I, yeah. I don't know how well you know him, you've, you've, you've worked with him in the past, and I've got news for you. Given the situation we're in right now, how do you think he might react to the Black Lives Matter movement in the long run? Well, like people... Ha- the other week when everybody was asked to put um, a black square on Instagram and everybody did, whether they liked it or not. I mean, people, whether they understood it or not, people did it because they wanted to show solidarity towards uh, black people and the injustice of what had happened to George Floyd. But a lot of people, uh, white people, white friends of mine, had used this hashtag, um, I don't under, you know, I don't understand, I'll never understand, but I stand with you. And white people or people who are not of colour are acknowledging that, you know, I can never fully understand what you've been through in your life because I'm not black. And, and, that's, and that's true and it's understandable. But then there's another extreme of Boris Johnson is that not only can he never understand, um, but someone like Boris, who is from a totally different world, a totally different class, a totally different, very privileged, um, very um, white upbringing. That's not to say he hasn't had black or Asian friends. He clearly works with Asian people and has worked with black people, but his upbringing, his close circle of friends, um, he not, I don't think he will have as much empathy or sympathy towards this Black Lives Matter movement as he would do to say, you know, his Tory friends who drive a hundred miles up the motorway giving themselves an eye test um, and defend that person and support that person right to the bitter end, even if it puts his position in, in, in trouble and, get, and doesn't get him re-elected again. He definitely had empathy and sympathy and support for that person like we've never seen before. Defending oh, him he was wrong. And I don't think he will have that same passion towards the Black Lives Matter movement because he doesn't relate to it as much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, no, so the, your tour that was, what was the tour going to be called or what is it going to be called? Coconut. Coconut. Um, it was based on Sajid Javid. Ironically, um, I know some people think it's a, a racist term, coconut, but a lot of Asian people uh, refer to that term to other Asian people who they feel are brown on the outside and white on the inside and are not loyal to their own people. Ironically, I had written this nine months ago and it was about Sajid Javid but could easily... Uh, be referred to, uh, Pretty Patel could be easily referred to in the same way. 
Um, and it was about having loyalty to your own people um, because if you don't help them, uh, other people might not. So are you adapting it as you go and rewriting or are you going well, to scrap it? I'm going to keep the same about people voting. Um, uh, and actually, since the pandemic, uh, as I've been reading the papers online, I found that maybe this now, because of the virus, this is going to be the death of celebrity. This is going to be the end of celebrity, the end of kind of reality TV, the end of kind of mindless, boring, useless people that we used to idolise before. Maybe this will be the death of that. And the people we realised in this pandemic, the people that saved our lives were the people we didn't really care that much about the hairdresser, the manicurist, you know, the nurses, the doctors, the, the you know, all the school the, teachers. The new job of organising a supermarket queue, which and never existed before, but what a skill. And we just thought, well, these people, that's what they do. And now everybody, no one I know can live without the hairdresser. Everybody's been well, dying for the hairdresser, unless you're already bald, or you've done it yourself. Yeah. For the but listener, I, I survive without the hairdresser, but yeah, most people. And how we need, how those people, not only do we need them, not for our vanity, but they make us feel good about ourselves. And, yeah. and I think they're going to be valued more than ever. And you know, the banging of the pots for the NHS, I know that was only for a few weeks, and... But I think people really realised, oh, God, these are the people that matter. Not somebody on, a, on Love Island. It would be nice to think that gets remembered, wouldn't it? I think yeah. one of the things, one of the things I, I missed is, is music gigs and comedy gigs as well. But in my head, I'm thinking music gigs because I'm thinking of walking into a venue and getting a pint of bad watered-down beer walking across the sticky floor and then watching the support band who may or may not be worth yeah, watching. Yeah. But it's simple things like that. What about the actual experience of gigging? How much you miss that? Well, just before the lockdown, I, um, first of all, I recorded QI um, and it was one week before the lockdown. And it was in an audience of 400 live at the BBC. And 400 people, I can't, and then not seeing anybody for three months, it, it really made me just, it's such a strange feeling to have that and then have nothing. Um, and I just kept thinking about that. And um, a week before the lockdown, I went to see Brian Ferry at the Royal Albert Hall. And it was absolutely fantastic. It was so fantastic. It was sold out. It was fun I was dancing with people I didn't know he was great and then that's all I kept remembering in the lockdown were the last two things where there were loads of people Brian Ferry and QI and if this lockdown had never ever happened I would have just carried on life as normal and that probably would have happened again but it just, uh, I missed that. I, I missed that, um, just being with people. I was going to do Glastonbury this year. I was going to do Latitude this year. And I just kept thinking uh, I would be, in, I'd be at Glastonbury performing in the sun. Probably as we speak. It's, is it this yeah. weekend? It would have been, yeah. It would have been hot. Yeah. It's never hot at Glastonbury. And it would have <laughs> been hot. Oh, and it would have been wonderful. And it's not happening. 
Uh, that is, uh, and I, I think that's the, the thing that I miss most is being with people. Not necessarily talking to them, because when you do stand-up, you don't talk to the audience a lot of the time. They're just there and they laugh and they respond to you. But being with other people in mass gatherings and mass crowds, um, that I, miss, I miss that. I think that's why I miss comedy. Yeah, absolutely. How, I don't know how close you are to other comedians, but it always seems like quite a tight community to me. So there must be different comedians have dealt with it in very different ways. I think uh, well, comedy is strange. It's not like music because comedy uh, is that p- comedians are solitary people. Generally, they are solitary people. They write on their own, they perform on their own, they travel alone. Um, they think their ideas a lot by themselves. It's a solitary thing that you do as a comedian. Um, and when you die on stage, you die by yourself and nobody can understand what that feels like. And when it goes well, it's amazing, but also nobody can really understand what that feels like. It's only you experiencing that. And when I've spoken to other comedians, uh, a few of them have said to me that, you know what, I really wish I'd made more effort with other people because, you know, I don't everything by myself. I mean, I'm a comedian, I'm always by myself. And now I'm in lockdown by myself and I really want to be with other people. I really wish I'd made more friends or made more effort with other people because now I've been forced in, in this situation. I'd have people to talk to and I'd have people to respond to, which is, I, I think, why a lot of them miss doing the gigs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's going to be interesting to see how many of us snap back into old habits or how much change there is. I mean, I think people are very easily adaptable. They think they're not, but they are. And we, you know, it was difficult in the first couple of weeks, but people got used to the lockdown. Once you've got, once you've got a routine going, whatever that is, you, can, you get used to it. And now I found, when talking to other comics, they're finding it very difficult to come out of this lockdown. So now people are, are arranging to meet and they can't be bothered to turn up or they can't <laughs> be bothered to leave the house or they can't be bothered to get dressed. I can't be asked. And now they're used to the lockdown. It's difficult for them to come out of the lockdown. But I think once we are out of it, um, I mean, you'd like to think that it has affected people and they've changed, but I think some people might snap back into it. I yeah, know I think a, so. I know a couple of people who've got used to not talking. They just text the whole time now. They don't talk. Anymore. That would drive me mad. Absolutely mad. I think I've, yeah, I'm a fairly solitary person myself, relatively, but certainly during the lockdown, I'd cycle across the city to wave at somebody I know. It's, it's kind of driven me out to get out and about more. Uh, which is good. I mean, all, of, all of a sudden, everybody was took up jogging. Everyone took up jogging. I'd never seen I, so many people jogging in my life. And I lasted it, about a week, to be honest. In, and then. And it's obvious these people have never jogged before because they didn't know how to jog. I mean, they were all over the pavement. They were running, they were walking, <laughs> they were jogging. I mean, they clearly had never jogged. That ended after a couple of weeks. Then everybody was cycling. All of a sudden, everyone was on a bike going everywhere. Couldn't get a bike on eBay. All bikes were sold out. And now 
everybody is not doing any exercise at all. Yeah, I think we're, we're at that stage. I did yoga twice, I think. I followed a yoga video twice, but the discipline just went. People were doing these online videos at home. I did one once. Yeah. Uh, um, the other thing I saw you in the other day is I watched the episode of Travel Man that you did with Richard Ioadi, oh, yeah. which was uh, Monaco, wasn't it? South which, Africa. Yeah, Nice, yeah. Monaco and Monte Carlo. Yeah, so not a bad weekend. Oh, it was great. You must be looking for, because I know you've toured quite a lot in the States as well, so, or uh, done a lot of gigs over there. You must be looking forward to getting abroad as well. Well, I was thinking about the south of France last night because uh, a friend of mine flew to Nice yesterday from London and the BA flight was empty. And you're like, you could just do that? You could just get a flight? You got a flight, um, um, London to Nice. Um, the flight was empty. Uh, the airport was empty. And... Uh, she said she, she's in the south of France now, and I was thinking, that's amazing. I, uh, I couldn't get a flight. I really wanted to go to south of France now. Oh, I want to swim in the sea. <laughs> well, you can. The summer's, <laughs> the summer's still here. Um, in terms of plans, is there anything else people should look out for? You've got TV things hopefully coming up, but I suppose it's all a bit in the air still, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I recorded, uh, thank God, I recorded QI just before the lockdown, so that will go out. How do you find those things? How do you find QI especially? QI was lovely. They are very lovely. Alan is lovely. And um, I was on with Joe Lysett. I, I, I know these people, and Sandy's wonderful. You know, I know these people um, because I've been in stand-up a while, and they were lovely. And QI is the nicest panel show probably to do because, you know, you're not fighting to be heard. It's interesting quite interesting i mean that's what it is um yes. and um you know i really enjoyed it actually let's go i suppose stephen fry or sandy toxvick are not going to let it turn into a oh, no. uh, the, the kind of oh, bare no. pitch that some other panel shows are there ones you say no to um i used to say it was strange i used to say no to most stuff but since this uh, virus i decided to say yes to everything Oh, well, thanks for joining us on the Hammond High podcast. Because you never know what's going to happen. And I <laughs> no. all the stuff that I'd turned down, I thought, you know what, I'd do it now. I'm going to, say, I'm going to try and say yes to everything. I think it's a good attitude. Do you think in a year's, in a year's time, how different do you think the world's going to look to what it was at the end of last year, say? Well, it's funny because uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, which was before as well. I mean, George Floyd's death has kind of accentuated and really uh, magnified the problem. And people, are, it's really gone into overdrive. And now I read the other day, the BBC are putting 100 million into diversity. And, you know, sitcoms where people have blacked up before have been taken off BBC iPlayer. And, um, you know, What's your take on that? I mean, they were, sick, they were sitcoms of the time. It was clearly acceptable at the time because no one complained about it. They were, everybody laughed at it and thought it was funny, apart from the people who it directly affected, obviously. Um, but this is a reaction, you see, to, what's, to George Floyd's death. And we have to react to, to this, what's happened. 
you, something so awful cannot happen. Everybody see it, everybody watch it, and then nobody do anything about it. There had to be a reaction. And this is how the world has reacted. Yes, there is clearly a problem with the amount of black and Asian people on, on TV all over the world. There is clearly a problem with diversity. and You know, it just needs to happen. It needs to change. So we do need to react. And I do think the world in a year's time, because of this, because of the pandemic, because of the up-and-coming up recession that is inevitable, um, and people's livelihoods and jobs are going to be lost. And I just think it's very uncertain times now. Well, on that down note, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. I think it was on the whole optimistic is your viewpoint, but yeah, yeah I mean, there's certainly there's a lot of funniness to come out of this. I, yeah, I'm sure there is. Well, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Um, and uh, well, all the best as, as things return and, and work returns. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. So thank you so much to Shazia for speaking with us. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to support what we do by subscribing, liking and reviewing. And we'll be back again next time. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant.